0: I know for a fact that we are born imitators. We just are. I mean, it's in our DNA. We're born to imitate. Um, I see it especially having two little girls. Kaylee does, you know, whatever mom and dad does, for better or for worse. You know, like sometimes she throws things at people because she's seen mom and dad, how we fight. You know, I kid. But she imitates us, little sister, Peyton imitates Kaylee to a T, it's hilarious. Dance moves, you know, the way she eats, the things she does. We're just born imitators. And that's a good thing, but it can be a bad thing because of this. Concerning these topics, the culture is happy to throw us things, people, uh, ideals, to imitate. That's what it does. And it's very happy to set us up with those things. And, and even though we see them crash and burn all the time, be it a stupid episode of The Bachelor or whatever, we see it crash and burn. We see culture's ideas of how to do relationships crash and burn. Yet we're still told that that's what you want and, and that's what you need. And so we continue to imitate Well, last week we began a series on relationships, primarily these three things about relationships. But we began this series because I'm absolutely convinced that if you really know what you were designed for and how all of these relationships should look, I'm convinced that you'll thrive because you will bear God's true image and you will expand the garden as we were intended to do from the beginning of time. And even though there's a lot of varying opinions when it comes to relationships, we talked about some of those last week, on one hand, you have people who are going, relationships are a burden. I don't want relationships. They're totally optional. They cut into, uh, into me time. And so they're bad, bad, bad. We hate relationships. Yay for single liberty. Do our own thing. And then on the other hand... Through music and, and any other form of media you can think of, we worship relationships. We think we have to have relationships. We find our value in relationships. So even though there are varying opinions of that, we can make some sense out of what God says about relationships. Remember we looked in the passage there in First Peter where Peter's going, hey, through God's word, you've been given everything that you need For life and godliness. And we either believe that or we don't. We either believe that in the fullness of the gospel, as he's revealed it to his people, in God's word, we've got everything we need to pursue godly living. And so what we examined in small part last week is this. God created us and he created us to be relational people, relational beings. Why? Because he is a relational God. So the reason that any relationship exists, any relationship, the reason it exists is to exalt or magnify or make big God. So we do have a framework in the scriptures when it comes to all relationships, even if we've made a few up in the recent couple of hundred years, like dating, which we're we're getting to. So where does all that leave us? Where does all that leave us? Well, before we jump into uh, behaviors such as how we relate to certain people or the opposite sex, or before we get into the X's and O's of relationships, here's what we've got to understand. We've got to understand what makes us tick. We've got to understand what makes us do the things that we do. What makes us feel the things that we feel. What makes us behave the way that we behave. We've got to understand that before any rational conversation about dating or sex or marriage can take place. We've got to understand what makes us tick. Ladies, why do you cry when a dude doesn't come through on the thing that he promised? Dudes... Uh, why do you everyday position your desk in a cert- in a certain way near that one girl because you're convinced that your horrific Axe body spray is going to you know go across her nasals and she's going to go marry me you know it's chocolate axe body spray marry take me now you valiant knight of chocolate i don't know But why do we do these kind of things? Um, Why do you wake up two hours early to make sure the hair and the makeup are are perfect? Why does hearing that song make you feel a certain way? Um, Why does, in one weekend, this person can make you feel like you're absolutely on top of the world, and then the very next weekend, you're tweeting the corniest of Taylor Swift lyrics, you know? (laughs) You're hating life, I want to die. And, you know, the weekend before, it's just Instagramming, like, I'm in love, and I don't care who knows it, you know. I mean, what makes us, what brings out these emotions and these desires? What makes us do the certain things that we do when it comes to relationships? Well, the Bible has an answer for why we do the things that we do. And it's from no other than the master teacher himself, Jesus. I want you to turn in uh, your copy of God's Word to Luke chapter 6. I'm just going to read two verses, verses 43 to 45. <coughs> Three verses. Luke chapter 6, verses 43 to 45. Because I'm so sweet and nice and awesome during the series, I will also have it up on the screens, okay, for you slackers. Uh, who did not bring your Bible, because it's heavy. You know, it's, that's, that's nine ounces, and that's heavy. So, Luke chapter 6, verses 43 to 45. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit, for each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Let me pray over that. Father God, we have just read your son Jesus' very words. Words that he spoke on this earth to people and we have them written down, and they're written to us, your people. Lord, without your Holy Spirit breathing life into this text, we will have no idea what all this business about the heart means. We will have no idea what it means uh, to, to bear good fruit, and, and, and the heart is the wellspring of life. And all of these concepts, Lord, may you open up our hearts. May you begin tonight even to create new hearts give heart transplants make make stony hard hearts into into soft hearts of flesh will you open up your word to us open up our minds so that we can understand it and see how it plays out in every relationship that we share here on earth we love you and we ask these things only in christ's name amen all right i want you to listen to something real quick all right you gotta listen it's about a minute long i want you to listen to this Who? Jersey Sludge. All right, one minute. Middle-aged, not old. Percy Sledge, 1966, When a Man Loves it. That's some good poetry, isn't it? That's some good classic poetry right there. But think about it. I mean, doesn't he nail it? I mean, I'm telling you, this dude is preaching truth left and right all through it. Listen to what he says about... I mean, he's talking about this, this force. I mean, this thing, this, this this thing in your gut that draws you to something that's just all-consuming. I mean, he says, can't keep his mind on nothing else. Uh, He would sleep out in the rain. So he's talking about this, this very real thing inside of people. It's very real. We don't have to downplay it. It's real. It's this, this desire, this passion. He's talking about being all-consuming. I mean, it's just wrecking this dude's world. He goes on to say this, if she's bad, he can't see it. In another verse, uh, good old Percy, he says, If she plays him for a fool, he's the last one to know. Love and eyes can't ever see. Love and eyes can't ever see. And with that lyric, my friends, he nails our problem. Certain desires and certain urges and certain passions that are within us, they blind us. Now, this wasn't a new concept in 1966 when old Percy Sledge penned this tune. In fact, the prophet Jeremiah tells us about this very thing in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, when he pins this. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Dang. You don't see Hallmark selling that real talk, do you? <laughs> Can you imagine giving a card to your valentine? Dear valentine, your heart is sick. <laughs> you know, Like, okay, we're done. You, you, don't see, you don't see this kind of a card in Hallmark. And yet, this is what the truth of God's word seems to say about our natural condition. <laughs> you see, this is what our text in Luke is telling us. Our text in Luke, and, and Jesus is teaching this, and he's a master teacher and a master illustrator... And here's what he's doing. He's saying something very obvious to his listeners. A lot of the times we approach scriptures and say, Oh, that's not my language. Wow, it's so hard. It's really pretty easy. He's, he's basically saying this. Um, if you plant an apple seed in the ground, and it takes root and it starts to grow, don't expect cotton on its branches. You're probably going to expect Apples. I mean, this is just a very basic illustration that he's given. Why? Because the fruit, the behavior, the, the things that we actually do, the pictures that we actually post, the things that we actually put on, the way that we view ourselves, the way that we treat others, the behavior, the, the, the stuff that we see over here on the branch, it's directly related to the root, to the seed. That's the illustration that the Bible gives time and time again to tell us what drives our life. What what the steering wheel of our life is called our heart, not just the organ. This is how the Bible refers to the to the real us, not just the outside, but the real us. It's 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 the heart. So what I'm suggesting, what Jesus is suggesting, is that we live out of our heart. That's what makes us tick. ...and do the things that we do. That's what makes us get emotional over a certain song. That's what makes us cry over that guy. That's what makes us cry over that girl. Out of the heart is how we live. It's what makes us tick. So here's where we're at. We've got these real desires. They're very real. um, And they're very hardwired into us. They're very powerful. And yet, there's something in our hearts that's missing... We're missing the means to make sense of these relationships. We know we want them. We know we were designed for them. There are things about our lives that draw us to them. And yet, in our own heart of hearts, we're missing the means to do them rightly. Uh, A couple of years ago, some of us did the old Memphis and May triathlon. How many of you in the room did that? A few of you, yes. It sucked. Uh, But I did it, and it was great. And it was kind of the pansy version. It wasn't like the mile swim and the blah, blah and the thing. It was like the sprint triathlon, which is code for like, yeah, you're not really athletic, but come on out. But anyway, I did it. It was fun. And, I mean, you know, you're burning. It's early in the morning, which I love the mornings. No. Uh, so I get up, and I had had like a bagel with peanut butter on it to, you know, carve up. I was going to Michael Scott it and eat a bunch of fettuccine right before the race, but I decided not to. Um, so you go through this race, and you're just burning like 3,000 calories because, you know, you're swimming, you're biking, you're running, and this and that. At the end of it, I am famished. I'm starving, and my gut is an urge and a desire to consume any food that's in front of me. So they have the uh, the athlete's tent over here, which, you know, I've spent a lot of time in the athlete's tent in my days. Um, so they have the athlete's tent, you know, with all this food. And I go to it, and there's a very real and powerful force within me. It's very real. It's called hunger. And this hunger didn't, it didn't direct me on how to make healthy choices. It just went, eat. So, you know, I'm like turning to the Hulk, just throwing people and small babies aside, yeah. giving <laughs> Give me the ice cream, you know, whatever. Just going for any kind of food that I can. And the illustration is this each of you have a desire in you. You have a desire for companionship. You have a desire for real, meaningful relationships. You have a desire for romance, even. But that desire, in and of itself, without knowledge, without truth, doesn't inform you concerning how to make healthy choices. Just like when I was hungry, it wasn't like, well, whole grain wheat only it's like food you know get whatever you can and this is where so many of you guys get tripped up and you fall into sin is that there's an urge and a desire in you and it's, and it's a real one and yet it's not coupled with knowledge it's not coupled with the truth God's word speaks into this Proverbs 19 2 tells us desire without knowledge is not good Isn't the Bible just awesome? That's simple. You don't you don't need a Greek New Testament to get that. You don't need to go. Well, the Bible's so hard. No, No, desire without knowledge is not good. It just plain tells you that. You know what this means? Here's what it means: doing relationships well doesn't come out of good chemistry. Good relationships don't come out of just having good chemistry. Doing relationships well comes from good theology. So the heart wants something, but it lacks the ability and the knowledge to rightly obtain it. So what does it lack? Well, I'm going to tell you a lot of things that it lacks, but I'm going to leave you with one tonight. Here's the main thing that your heart lacks in our natural state. Our heart lacks God. Unless you've been given a new heart, naturally, in our natural estate, our heart lacks God. Uh, How many of you are familiar with St. Augustine? St. Augustine of Hippo. Not like the thing at the zoo, Hippo, but St. Augustine. St. Augustine, one of the greatest Christian thinkers in the history of the world. I don't know if you knew this about St. Augustine. He was a bit of of a frat boy. He was a bit of a party dude. He really, really was. And when he was in his early 40s, he wrote an autobiography. It was called Confessions. So really, St. Augustine's like the first usher, okay? So he he rewrites this thing. He writes this thing called Confessions. Now listen, he's in his early 40s, and he had lived a pretty rock and roll lifestyle. And here's what he basically concludes. All of his sexual escapades, all of his going out in this riotous lifestyle, it was nothing more than a misguided search. He comes to this conclusion in his early 40s. He he was searching for happiness and acceptance and joy and truth. And he comes to this conclusion. Here's his quote. He says, Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in Thee. And this is when I look out in a room this size and, and stories are rushing into my head that you've told me or I've heard elsewhere I see a lot of restless people. There's a thing in you that hasn't been hasn't been put to rest. There's no rest. There's always working and working and, and having to do it better, be better, and look better, and try harder and do this and have this. And St. Augustine, he realizes, he going, you know what? We were made for you, and until you give us rest, we're just restless. So you, you want to know what? Just a couple of examples. You want to know what either being on the receiving end or the sending end of a, of a topless picture message to someone is? It's not just, oh, she's a slut. You know what, what, what the core of that is? That's a search. It's a search for something. Do you want to know what abandoning your parents' authority, God-given authority, boundaries that they've set up and ask you to do? Hey, where are you? Hey, don't lie about this. Hey, don't be humble. You want to know what throwing that and going, forget that? You know what that is? That's behavior, but the root of that, it's a search. Abandoning uh, God-given boundaries in Scripture, it's a search. Abandoning wisdom from people who are in your life, who who love you and are concerned about you, and, and try to guide you and direct you. Saying, you know what, forget it. It's a search. You see, at some point in your life, you've got to decide something, people. You've got to decide whether this book is true or not. Because if it's not then it's a big waste of time. But if it is, something like this is absolutely life-changing. For He satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul He fills with good things. Guys, either that's true or it's not. Either it's true and it's not. So when it comes to relationships, they'll always be messed up and completely upside down until the first piece is properly in place. You know what that first piece is? Um, It's like tiling. I've tiled a lot at the house. The most important part of starting a tiling job is that first piece. Because if you don't put the first piece in the right place, every other one's all jacked up. You know what the first piece is? It's loving God. And not just abstract, out there, Bible belt, love for God, but real, fruitful, faith in the living Christ, love for God. Well, what does love for God look like? What does love for God through Christ look like? Well, let's end with a wedding illustration. Jeremiah 33 verse 13 says this, God says, I will be their God, and they will be my people. You know what that is? It's not just fancy religious talk. That's a marriage vow. That's a marriage vow. That is is literally God saying, I will be your husband and you will be my bride. In the same way that a groom sets his loving, wooing, pursuing sights on a woman that he wants to win for marriage, God sets His gaze on his bride. And you know what He's willing to do to come and get her? He's willing to humiliate Himself, the God of all, to be born in a barn and come and get her. Does a bride not love a groom who does that? Does a bride not love a groom who sacrifices everything to come and get her? Does she not then follow that groom? Does she not submit to this groom, understand what this groom has done for her? You see, when you have that picture of the King of Kings, you want to submit to Him. You want to commune with Him. You want to love Him. I want to show you one last clip. Two minutes long and then it's done. Uh, Who is my favorite musician? John Mayer. Musically speaking, because his theology is so jacked up. I want you to listen to what he's saying. This is a show he played about five years ago in L.A. And he, if, if he's not saying he needs the gospel, then I'm not here. Listen to him.
1: All right, so check it out, right? I've tried every approach to living. I've t- I tried it all. I haven't tried everything, but I've tried every approach. Sometimes you have to try everything to get the approach the same, but... i tried it all. I- Bought a bunch of stuff, I went, no, I don't like that. I kind of came in and out of that a couple times. Thought I would shut myself off. I thought maybe that's cool. Maybe that's what you have to do to be a genius is you have to be mad. So if you can get mad before the word genius, then maybe you can make genius appear, right? That doesn't work either. And I'm, I'm in a good place. I pace myself pretty well. I'm 30, I've seen some cool stuff. Made a lot of stuff happen for myself. I made a lot of stuff happen for myself, right? That's a really cool sentence when you're in your 20s. I made it happen for myself, right? But all that means is that I've just somehow or another found a way to synthesize love, or synthesize soothing. You can't get that, and what I'm saying is I've messed with all the approaches except for one, and it's gonna sound really corny, but that's just love. That's just love i've done everything in my life that i want to do except just give and feel love for my living and i don't mean like a roman candle firework hollywood hot pink love i mean like i got your back love i don't need to hear i love you you guys love me i love you we got that down but some of the people who will tell you that they love you are the same people who will the last just have your back. So I'm going to experiment with this love thing. Giving love, feeling love. I know it sounds really corny, but it's the last thing I got to check out before I check out. Take me into the
0: solo one more time. Make it loud. Thank you. I don't know what you hear in that. I don't know if you hear a guy rambling. I hear a guy who can have pretty much anything you want. (laughs) He's got more money than all of us in this room combined. He's got more fame than any of us will ever have. He could have any woman he wants, anything he wants. And he's even saying that. He's preaching the gospel. He's going, I've tried a lot of different approaches to life, and uh, there's something not there, there's something that's not clicking. So I want to end with this. Blaise Pascal, he says exactly what I want you to leave here with, and it's an exact, an exact illustration of what Mr. Mayer can't seem to voice. It's this. There is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man which cannot be filled by any created thing, but only by God, the Creator, made known through Jesus You see, all of our hearts desire something and that desire, it was hardwired, it was hardwired to thread us back to God Himself. See, God's ultimate answer, His ultimate communication to us is Himself revealed in Christ Jesus. And so my question is this, are you right now currently in communion with this Jesus in such a way that your heart is being filled with? Not broken and not taken advantage of and not emptied and disappointed. Because Christ comes to satisfy. We're going to talk about relationships a lot more on following Wednesdays. Let me pray. Father God, you've given us yourself in Jesus, and that is absolutely the most mind blowing thing. We can even fathom. And yet in our sin, we we live as orphans like we don't have a father. And yet you've given us, you've given us yourself. Lord, would you begin to reveal to us those areas in our life in which we have desire, but not knowledge. Would you reveal areas in our life that we are looking uh, to these things, created things, to satisfy us and not you? Only your Holy Spirit, only the Holy Spirit can give us a new heart, give us a heart transplant, make us new creations. So that when we live out of the heart, it's good fruit. And so then we date well. And then we understand sexual boundaries well. And then we marry well. Only you can do that. So when you begin to do it, we ask it, of course. Only in Christ Jesus. Amen.